Well, good morning. It's, um, it's so good to be back. Thank you so much. Thank you for the warm welcome. Um, yes, yeah, so if you've not met me, uh, my name's Josh, as John has said. And um, with Katie, we have three children. And it was with those three children that we left here, our home church, um, to go and be a part of things that God was doing in Oxford. So I should really start um, by saying hi from them, give you greetings from them. And, um, and also your extended vineyard family in Oxford. So greetings from them. We'd always used to start our, um, our services bringing greetings when I, I grew up in Kenya. That was the way we started. So forgive me for that. I don't know about you, but it's not an everyday experience that I get an email from John and Debbie being invited to speak at Trent Vineyard. It was a very nice email. Um, but in that, I was asked to speak as um, part of a three-part series it was on race, and I, these were the things I needed to note. How diversity is represented in the New Testament, focusing particularly on what Jesus has said, and also diversity in the early church. What an honor, but what a lot to pack into a short talk. <laughs> but in God's big plan, back in June, I'd been asked to speak at another church in Oxford on this topic, so the background work had been done. But this is a different moment, a different series of talks. So I've asked God for a fresh revelation for us today. So why don't we pray? Father, we just pray that you would give us your vision, your fresh vision for diversity. Lord, would you open our hearts to listen to what it is you want to reveal to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. In Looking for Wisdom, the Bible has a lot to say about diversity and racial justice. Through it, we can see God has a special place in his heart for those that are oppressed, the outsider, and the marginalized. God fights for equality for all. God created racial and ethnic and cultural diversity because it is good. In a moment, we're going to read from the Bible about the interaction between two people in the book of Acts. They're Cornelius, who's a Roman centurion, and Peter who is Jewish, one of Jesus' disciples, a lead apostle in the church. The story is from Acts chapter 10, but the same story is repeated and then summarized in Acts chapter 11, when he was summoned to the leaders to justify his unlawful actions. And this is the part that we're going to read from today. It's Acts chapter 11 verses, chapter 11 verses 1 to 18. And the NIV Bible is entitled, Peter Explains His Actions. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea, who up to that point, the believers were all Jewish, heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. As John Wright explained previously, God had given the Jewish people, called the Israelites, particular laws, including circumcision, foods they can't eat and other commandments as well. And that's why there's a lot of talk about circumcision and uncircumcision or, clean, or unclean food, because these practices kept them set apart or holy and also enabled them to receive God's blessing. So let's carry on. Verse 4. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to where I was. I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, 
Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And then it was pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers, who I guess were also summoned with Peter to give account for themselves, they also went with me. We entered the man, and this man is Cornelius, the man's house, and he told us how he had seen an angel appear to him, saying, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter, and he will give you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, as he had come on us at the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift that he had given us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and they praised God saying, so then, even to the Gentiles, God has given or granted repentance that leads to life. In speaking from this passage, I felt prompted today to highlight three things that are going to help us move towards real and lasting change. And so the first is this. It starts with a revelation of God's vision for diversity. Looking at the big picture of the Bible as a whole, there is a theme of God making covenant promise of blessing. However, each covenant promise of blessing, for example, to Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to David, they were never in blessings intended just for those people or for one group alone. The blessing could only be fully enjoyed if it was shared with others from every nation, every tribe, every people. If you read or you listen to the whole of the book of Acts in which this story is found, you'll find that the new covenant God's new promise is intended for more than just the Jewish people. We see the good news of the new covenant progressively express cross-culturally both Jews and non-Jews, or the Gentiles, the uncircumcised. And also it followed Jesus' instruction that he gave to them at the beginning of this book, Acts chapter 1, where he said, spread this word to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's why this book ends in with Paul teaching from his house in Rome, because it symbolically represents the ends of the earth, given the reach of the Roman Empire at that time. So why, we might ask, would God give these people a vision? Well, often, in my experience, when God speaks clearly, he gives a vision, because something big or something tough is coming. In this story, God revealed something to them both that caused them to take revolutionary and countercultural action. From Cornelius' perspective, Peter was the most unlikely person he might invite in for advice. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. The Romans ruled over, and it generally seems they despised the Jewish customs and traditions. But Cornelius was different. We read that he was a prayerful man. He feared God, as did his family, and he gave to the poor. On the other hand, Peter was a Jew. Going into the house of non-Jews 
or the Gentiles, was against their law. And on top of that, the Romans oppressed the Jews. So not only was it illegal, but a Roman centurion would have been the last person that Peter would have even wanted to go and visit. But God gave Peter a vision. And we read this from Acts chapter 10, the original time the story is told from verse 34 to 35. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. God accepts every nation, every tribe, every people, the one who fears him and does what is right. That's an incredible summary of God's vision for diversity. This is why back in 2020, when we were reeling from the events sparked by the death of George Floyd, we chose to quote this verse that Peter shared through Hope Vineyard Oxford's Instagram and Facebook accounts. And my prayer is this for us all today, that God gives us a fresh vision of his heart for diversity as we reflect on this incredible story, as we are now in a unique period of history where there seems to be an opportunity and an openness for change. For the past nine years, I've been a trustee for an amazing charity, and we had a board of trustees meeting in April this year, and I sensed at the meeting, after the meeting, that we could do more to encourage diversity in that context. So I shared my thoughts with the director and the chair of trustees outside of the meeting. And it was put on the agenda, and that was two weeks ago. I was nervous about what to say. I explained to the board that this issue isn't unique for us as a charity, because boards of trustees rely on expertise in finance, in law, and in public relations and media. We've heard in previous talks about inequalities and discrimination in education and also in job prospects. So it's unsurprising that many boards lack ethnic and other diversity. The sad reality is currently it's not going to change overnight, but we can still make positive steps. The conversation that followed was incredible. Great practical solutions about things we could do. Making things more accessible in terms of terminology. To give trustees whose cultural perspectives were valued opportunities to contribute meaningfully to the decisions that were being made. But that night, I also had a fresh vision of diversity within God's nature. We were singing earlier, God is united, Father, Son, Spirit, one God. So if we invite God to lead us, we're made in God's image. Naturally, God's character, which is full of perfect diversity and unity, will come out. And it will cause our attitudes, our decisions, our actions to move towards diversity and inclusion. But for this to happen, we have to be willing. In a talk here at the beginning of the month, John Bernard Carling spoke this quote about art, and he said this, it brings comfort to the disturbed, and it disturbs the comfortable. Friends, family, my experience is that this is not an easy reality to change. We may be too comfortable. Do we need God's vision to disturb us? We may be disturbed. Do we need God's vision to bring us comfort? In terms of our everyday lives, if we need a fresh vision about where to start, God may be le- where God might be leading us, these are questions we can ask ourselves. How's diversity represented in the contacts in my phone book or in my social media account? Something I try to do regularly is an examine prayer. It helps me think back over the previous day. If I had that sensitivity about racial diversity on my mind, I might be asking questions and notice times when maybe I'd made a joke or laughed at something which caused 
or could cause offence. An opportunity I missed to step up and stand up in the presence of racial inequality. Speaking to those of us that have experienced racial discrimination, we face the challenge of forgiveness. I'm not suggesting we, we accept discrimination, but I've seen anger, which is totally justified, lead to unjustified aggression. What if one of our oppressors makes a positive step towards us? Will we, like Peter, who is oppressed by the Romans, accept this unusual invitation to go to a Roman centurion's house? In my examined prayer, I might ask, when I experience injustice because of the color of my skin, how did I respond? There are times for grace, there are times for truth, but did I respond in love? And was my motivation to bring unity and reconciliation? I may think today, have I allowed people who have hurt me to say sorry? Have I given them the opportunity to become free of shame and guilt? And when I experienced aggression from others, did I show love to my enemies? It is hard, but with God it is possible, and we can draw strength from the example of Jesus, who on the cross demonstrated that incredibly. Father, forgive them. Here is now going to come up a picture of Patrick Hutchinson, rescued a white man being beaten up, carrying him to safety during the clashes in June 2020 between anti-racist and far-right protesters. Would you or I respond in this way? To play a part in, our, in this solution, we need to experience God's vision for diversity. And here's the next point. Once we've experienced that vision, a reality kicks in because we discover our differences are real and they present real difficulties. The moment Peter and Cornelius stepped across those racial divides, it was not plain sailing. Initially, Peter faced hostility from the Jewish believers when they heard what he had done. And then the whole Jewish church had to work out how to include these new believers. They were culturally poles apart from them within their community. They ate differently, spoke differently. They probably looked and they dressed differently. It wasn't easy for the new Gentile believers and Cornelius either. As we read on in Acts, and in fact, the whole letter of Galatians responds to this issues of difficulties with integration. John was explaining in previous talks that to become a Jew, many of these new Gentile believers were encouraged to take on the traditions of the Jews, including circumcision for the male believers. I wonder how many of us men would still be here today if the initiation into church <laughs> included losing our foreskin. But thankfully, in Acts chapter 15, they had a council in Jerusalem, and they worked out the essential things for new believers to do, and they decided it wasn't to be circumcised or observe the many other laws and traditions that they had. Why? Because circumcision and the many other laws signified outward signs that made God's people distinctive. But God was keen to find out about the internal, symbolic circumcision, the heart posture. So this is what they did. They wrote to the new Gentile believers to lay no great burden on them, save to obey a few commands about diet. It practically demonstrated they were living in respect of of God and the wider Jewish community, and also not to be sexually immoral. We all have our views and opinions, and from my perspective, it seems we're getting worse at talking about them. So be open-minded as you listen to this next story. I've been part of a WhatsApp group. There have been people sharing 
pro-COVID vaccine, pro-COVID-19 vaccine information. And I have a friend who I know shared links to information that questioned the vaccine program. But after seeing the response from others in the group, they left. That person is from an, uh, from an ethnic minority in the UK. And whatever you think is right or wrong about the COVID-19 vac um, vaccination program is irrelevant for what I'm going to say. John Wright talked here about slavery in his last talk, where people were sold, raped, lynched, branded by those in authority who owned them. I lay awake in the early hours of the morning a couple of weeks ago, and in my mind I was replaying those media representations, chastising ethnic minority communities, saying there was vulnerability to a conspiracy series about taking up the vaccine. But if you've been oppressed, if you've been abused by the ruling system, is it unsurprising that people find it difficult to trust the words of politicians or the how the state-run NHS and what that has to say? And now the opportunity for dialogue is almost lost. In fact, shame is being heaped on sections of our community, only exacerbating that same problem. Here are a few examples of things I've heard Western Christians say that typify a lack of curiosity and blaming of the non-white culture. The leaders from this country are so corrupt. You can't trust this person with money. Why don't black men in the church want to stand up and lead? When we face difficulties, where is our curiosity? Where is our compassion? Have we got the passion, the patience, the perseverance to overcome our differences and find solutions to solve some of our root problems? It's guaranteed that we're going to face difficulties because of our differences. In fact, if you spend any time around church, you'll realize how you literally have to fight for unity. We have an enemy, the devil, who wants to cause division and cause difference. But let's not let that stop us from following God's vision for diversity. When looking for leaders, let's avoid falling into the trap of looking for people like us who might be educated like us or fit into our unexamined picture of what a leader might look like. When we plant a small group of church or, or a church, let's avoid inviting people like us or doing a group that we'd want to go to. Like Peter and Cornelius, let's reach out to those who are different. Let's make ourselves uncomfortable so that others might be included. It will be different for each of us, but I'd encourage us all to spend time and consider, where are my blind spots? Where do I need more compassion or curiosity? And what can I actively do to bridge the cultural divide. And here's the last point. Discovering God's vision for diversity results in praise. In our reading today, in chapter 11, verse 18, it says this, when they heard this, they had no further objections and they praised God, saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. God did it. God led the way towards diversity. And in seeing this in real life, it results in us praising God because it is good. We gain so much from each other. I'm going to take a moment to share a little bit of my personal story. You look at me, you can see I'm not white. Would you say I'm black? My father's Nigerian, my mother's white. My early childhood was in Kenya. So at the age of 10, I got onto a plane as a white boy because I grew up in a majority black country. 
I then stepped off that plane in England, my new home, and I discovered people looked at me and called me black. I've experienced rejection from people in the white community. I've been stopped by the police. I've experienced racism at work, and many people here have experienced far worse things than this. I've also experienced rejection from people in the black community because I'm not fully black, because people have seen my name or heard me speak and said, oh, I'm surprised by the color of your skin. I've been told by young people in the black community in the UK that I should go back to the jungle in Africa where I belong. As a baby, I was an orphan. I was fostered from birth. But a Christian family had been praying for over a year for God to give them a child. That child was me. At the early age of three months, I joined this family. I was chosen by God and I was adopted into their family and adopted into God's family at the same time. I received a new identity. Just so you know, both my parents are white. They're from really privileged backgrounds. But when they became Christians in early adulthood, God placed a vision of diversity on both of their hearts. My dad went to a famous boarding school called Eton College. It was an unlikely background for someone who in their early 20s was in East Oxford working on a council estate. That's the transformation God brought. He met my mum when she came back from Cambridge University, having recently become a Christian. She'd volunteered to help him on a weekend away with young people different from herself. I didn't know this until recently. When they married, they had a vision for a multicultural family. They had one natural daughter, but they responded to an advert in a Christian magazine to adopt hard-to-place black boys. That was a title that social services had given me. Later, they went on to adopt my brother, an orphan from Kenya. He was nine. So here's a photo of my family. In many ways, we're not unusual. Like many families, we face painful and difficult challenges, but we are one because of Christ Jesus. My parents have demonstrated love without boundaries, where we were neither black, brown, nor white, where we neither have physical disability, mental disability, or are healthy. There's no hierarchy in value, whether we're born naturally to my parents or whether we're adopted. We are one because of the vision of diversity given to my parents through Jesus Christ. I wonder if you recognize Galatians 3, verse 28, which John read here the other week. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female. You are one in Christ Jesus. Martin Luther King Jr. puts it like this. Let us be dissatisfied and until that day when nobody will shout white power, when nobody will shout black power, but everybody will talk about God power and human power. When I look at what God's done in my life, the life of a hard-to-place orphan black boy, I can't help but praise God. I'm going to finish by showing you a photo from my visit to Burundi in 1998. I witnessed something incredible there. In this first picture, I'm standing with a good friend, Etienne Naimana, speaking to men, women, and children who've seen violence and pain through a genocide at a level that most of us here cannot imagine. But this next photo captures something of the time of praise. Men and women who have been tribal enemies have become one in Christ Jesus, and their response in worship is praise. 
This series is based on Revelations chapter 7, where we read of a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne, where they worshipped and praised God in unity. As we head into a time of response, I'm reminded this can only happen when God's Spirit is present. We cannot do it by ourselves. The church and Acts, they had to wait on God's Spirit to empower them before they went out. Just after I finished writing this talk, there was a particular song that um, came up on my worship playlist. And I've asked today, actually, if the band can come back now and play that song um, today. In response, as they come up, some of us may want to praise God. We've had this series of talks. We may have had a fresh revelation of God's vision for diversity. And I just want to encourage, just take a moment, my black brothers and sisters, I'd love to see some of the authentic plays, praise that I've seen in Africa and from black music impact our worship here today. If that, if that is you, then just welcome you to help lead us today in worship. Some of us are in that place and we'll know it in our hearts where we need to be still and receive forgiveness or healing from traumas of the past. And so in this song, have freedom to take that time. It's a time for us to respond in a way that's authentic to us. Whether we're at home watching or if we're watching on a replay or if we're here in the room today, we want to make space for God's Spirit to lead us. So as we respond, as John Wright often says, if you're able to, shall we stand? (laughs) 